0: Hey writer friends and listeners, thank you so much for joining me today on the Nonfiction Is My Lane podcast where a community of writers and authors come together for a literary chit chat on their journey to finding their secret sauce in the nonfiction space. We'll also chat about the steps they've taken in the pursuit of becoming writers of this genre as well as sharing ins and outs, ups and downs, highs and lows of how creating systems, processes, and workflows has kept it all running. Welcome to Episode 3, Sister, Sister, with Cheryl J. Jackson and Lars D. Wallace on the Nonfiction Is My Lane podcast. I'm your host, Latrice Fowler. This is Latrice Fowler with the Nonfiction is Malay podcast, and I wanna welcome my newest guests to the podcast, Cheryl Jackson and Loris Wallace. Welcome ladies.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes.
0: So my first question for you ladies is, I would like you to tell our
1: listeners who you are and a little bit about you and your family life and where you are in the world. My name is Cheryl Jackson. And I'm one of the authors of Different Sides of the Same Coin." It's a book of poems that we self-published. And we're new authors. And I am in Mississippi, but I am from the Windy City. And I'm Laris Wallace.
2: Uh, Cheryl and I are actually sisters. And I co-authored the book um, Different Sides of the Same Coin." And I am located in the Windy City. I'm in Chicago, Illinois right now.
0: Awesome. I
1: appreciate that.
0: So let's dive in a little deeper and chat about your writing life and how that all got started.
1: Okay. I always shared my writing with friends and my best friend, which is my sister, which I wrote this book with. So she's always been a fan and um I so greatly love her for that reason. But I was very public about my writing. And my sister, Loris, was kind of quiet about it. She journaled for years, but she was more like a secret journal. She didn't share her work. So I was very surprised to find that not only was she a great writer, she's really my favorite writer, but she never breathed a word that she wrote that she had an interest in writing but I probably should have guessed because she was a journalist me.
2: I was writing all the time, but I wasn't writing poems. I was writing movies, movie scripts and stuff like that, short uh, stories and stuff like that. I didn't really venture into poetry until uh, later uh, in my life when I felt like I had to get to understand myself. So I started a journal i um, trying to understand why things were happening in my life that was happening. And uh, when I went back to read some of the the entries, they sort of had a rhythm. And I was like, "Oh, I like that." So I kept writing in that rhythm and they just kind of turned into poems. And then when I finally did let Cheryl read one, she was like, "Oh, we should do a book." And It was like one Thanksgiving, we were talking about wanting to do a book. And the very next Thanksgiving, we were showing the book.
1: So it kind of went kind of fast.
0: So Cheryl, you mentioned that you were more so public with your writing and you wanted to showcase your work and publish your work. Was that your initial thought process? Did you always want to be a published author?
1: It it really was. But Latrice, let me kind of just do a little bit of a background for you, just really briefly, really quick. Loris and I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian suburb at a time where little black families didn't move their whole entire family of four children into a predominantly Caucasian suburb. So we didn't really, outside of our family and the six o'clock dinner hour at the dinner table with your immediate family seeing black people and on family reunions when we'd go out of town for those. We didn't have interaction with other black people. The interaction we had was with kids that didn't look like us. So when we went to college, we just craved to have something Mm -hmm. more than that experience. So when we went to college, in the college year, it was like a literary spiritual awakening of sorts, because for the first time in our lives as 18 and 19 year old girls, we were exposed to English literature that had people speaking like we did and speaking Mm -hmm. to the matters that were important to our lives. So we were reading James Baldwin, Sonia Sánchez, Nikki Giovanni, and we were just having this like literary explosion. We just couldn't believe what we were reading. Mm -hmm. And that was our introduction to, I don't even want to say self-awareness, as much as it was our love for literature, Black literature. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of how everything started, because we saw ourselves in books, and we saw ourselves on the cover of books, and we needed that. We needed to have that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we do need that. And I want to kind of share something to that as you kind of open the door for this. I didn't grow up reading literature. In fact, I hated to read. I was, you know, always one of those kids that, you know, mom would say, if you're bored, go read a book. That just wasn't me. So until I was an adult, then of course, you know, that That change, but shamefully, I purposely kept myself from reading works from, you know, your Toni Morrison's or your James Baldwin's because I was just scared of understanding our past, and that's really heartbreaking to admit because I am a black woman, and I didn't take the initiative to learn about our black culture. It all came down to fear, you know, of what I may uncover, and until I became an adult, so I can understand what that shock. Could that initial shock could have been for you too when you were in college, you know, to see that there were people who looked like us that were writing these works of art and sharing our history. So, yeah, thank you for sharing your backstory.
1: That kind of is Laura's story. So, Laura, you kind of want to tell the truth about that? Well,
2: I grew up, uh, I didn't like to read either, but it was, um, it was sort of different. It was like when my parents brought us books and my both our parents love books. So that was a big thing in our house, books. But when they brought us books, Cheryl and I, it's like we grew up as twins and not just sisters because everything they brought us, we had to share. It. And Cheryl was good at everything. And I wasn't. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't like reading because we would read books and I don't know why we did that. It wasn't like they told us to do that, but we would always read the book together. So we would be reading a book and Cheryl would finish like 10 minutes before I would. And she'd just be sitting there, you know, and I was like, man, you know, that that would make me feel so bad. So I was, I hated to read. I just hated reading. And then when I got in high school, And I was reading Edgar Allan Poe and Charles Dickens and Shakespeare and all that. I was like, this has nothing to do with me. And I, and, and then I hated to read more because they made us take literature classes, but it wasn't black literature. So when I got to college and I said, okay, I'm going to be a journalism major, but I was like, how can you be a journalism major and you hate to read? So what I did was I ended up taking like, five literature courses at the same time. So it was five different literature. I had Shakespeare. I had black literature. I had a regular, you know, literature course. Then I had like a religious literature class. I just, I had like five different ones because I knew it would force me to read. And when I stepped into that literature class and the first book I read was Wallace Thurman's The Black at the Verity. And I read that book and then we went on to Zorro Near Hurston. Then we went on to Maya Angelou, Nick Giovanni, James Baldwin. And I was, my mind was absolutely blown. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I thought this was the best thing I had ever read. And then I just became like, I just needed more and more and more and more. And it was, it was amazing because then once I got into Wallace Thurman, and Nikki Giovanni, and James Baldwin, and and Ralph Ellis, I could go back and appreciate Jane Austen, and Emily Bronte, and uh, Edgar Allan Poe. We actually grew up with Edgar Allan Poe because our brother would actually read Edgar Allan Poe to us as
1: bedtime stories.
2: But I couldn't appreciate that until I read James Baldwin. I really love Jane Austen, and she's one of my favorite Authors, I have like everything she ever wrote. I I can appreciate that now, but then I couldn't appreciate it because I couldn't I couldn't relate to it.
0: So you said that you grew up in a predominantly Caucasian suburb. What type of college did you two attend to be exposed to all of that richness in our heritage? What kind of college did you go to?
1: I went to Fall University. This is Cheryl, and my sister went to a performing arts college. I went to Columbia
2: College.
0: It's interesting to me that we aren't exposed to things like that in high school. And it's just a wonder when you do go to college and then that information is available. And I think that's wonderful. But then at the same time, it's not because of the other kids that don't choose to attend college, then they can't be exposed. Unless, of course, you know, they, yeah, they do the research uh, for themselves. Uh, and, and then it, it was kind of exciting how you two found the same thing initially, but then in different ways and while on different paths.
1: Exactly. I kind of had an inkling though when i was 19 and i walked into my literature course and dr o'brien had a special guest that day and so i walk in there and here's this really regal man sitting in a chair with his legs crossed and his name was james baldwin so for me after meeting him, there was just no way possible that I didn't want to at least attempt to try to start writing or, or have my voice heard as a way of activism, talking about our social issues in the same kind of way, mirroring him
0: you both kind of touched on what type of body of work that you have written and the book that you have published already. But if you want to, we can dive a little deeper with, you know, what's your angle? What's your point of view or your underlying message, if you will, for the body of nonfiction work that you do?
2: Um, Well, in this book, we're speaking to young Black girls to let them know that um, You know, they don't have to be or look like anyone else. They don't have to compete with anyone else. Whatever they have, whatever whoever they are, whatever they look like, it is good enough. They are good enough. They don't need more hair. They don't need fake nails. They don't need, you know, eyelashes, whatever the Lord has blessed them with. They don't need to be a size 10. They don't need to be... You know, uh, one hundred pounds, whatever the Lord has blessed them with, it is good
1: enough. It is more than good enough, and they just need to feel good in that, rest in it, and celebrate. It. Yeah, take ownership of it. That don't be you know accept it and take ownership of it. We are in such culture of political correctness, and it has to be staunch this way. You have to do it that way until we have just become you know they want you you have to speak a certain way. You have to look a certain way. But if your hair isn't long, you don't have to put a weave in it unless you want to put a weave in it. But your natural hair, it's good enough. You Mm -hmm. don't have to be ashamed of your body size. If you're Mm -hmm. not a size zero and you're a size 18 or a 20, that's good enough. Whatever you are at this moment that you find yourself If you make peace with that, it's enough. Accept it. It's good enough because God doesn't make a mistake. That is what our message is. I really commend your message. And I
0: hope that there are so many young girls out there that will, you know, be exposed to your word.
1: And young boys too, Latrice. And young boys too, Cause too yes. Because we are not, I mean, we have a lot of content in there for young me. Awesome. It is basically a celebration of culture, history, mm-hmm. family, sisterhood. Family. It is a celebration mm-hmm. of sisterhood. We celebrate young black boys. We celebrate black women because we are mm-hmm. one. It's lensed from black women. And so that's kind of a lens that we view the world. But like you, Latrice, we were choking on being separated from that culture Mm because everybody in our world didn't look like us we were forced to speak a certain way we were forced Mm -hmm. to look a certain way by the time we were 18 and 19 and moving around in the world on our own we were we just we just had a thirst and we had a desire to seek out. we got our first apartment in the inner city because we wanted Mm -hmm. to be around our people and experience our own heritage and our own culture. So that's Mm -hmm. what our book is. We wrote a book the way we see the world. Yeah, and keep in mind, also going back to the way we were
2: raised, our father was very protective of us. Like we only went into the city on the weekends to see our grandma and- uh, our grandmother lived on the west side of Chicago and uh it wasn't the best neighborhood so she would only let us out on the front porch. So we didn't know what it was like. I mean, we thought that the city was so far away from us. You know, we had no idea that we only lived like 30 minutes outside of Chicago. Yeah. Because our dad never let us go anywhere and it wasn't until we got into college that we re- could really explore and see things for ourselves. We got exposed to the city because my the college that I actually went to is right in the downtown area, and it exposed me to everything. So when I had my son, I wanted to make sure that he didn't have the experience that I had.
1: Additionally, Latrice, you kind of touched on something, and I kind of wanted to go back around and just kind of pull that out a little bit. We it's not we are anti anybody. That's 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 not that's not who we are as people. But we just we we have come to find in our lifetime because we sought out this connection with heritage and culture. People want to shame you and and make you think that black or being an African-American is less named or right. that you somehow aren't good enough and mm-hmm. to turn down your ethnicity, turn down your. Likeness. What we have found out is black women is no, 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 no. We should not have to turn down our blackness so that you can feel more of something that you think you are. And so we speak and our messages are to a great extent.
0: I agree with you because if we don't put our work out there for the little black boys and little black girls to be exposed to, because no one else is going to tell them that, you know, they're great or that they're strong. Or that they come from kings and queens, and they won't know that because you know other people are taught to help suppress that in us, because you know that's what they've been taught too. So I commend you for sharing that. Okay, walk our aspiring writers that may be listening to this podcast through the process of how you two wrote and published your book of poetry. What did that process look like?
1: It was very, uh, it was very organic actually, because. We have a compilation of 20 years of writing. Mm -hmm. And so because Lars journaled and I journaled, it was easy and we had all of this stuff saved. It was easy for us to go back and pull out writings literally that were that old and put them inside of a book. Now, part of the driving force of that was my dad got sick and he wanted to see our work kind of all in one book so it made it easier for us to pull all that stuff together and um for him so that he could have it before he passed away and so it wasn't a hard process because like i said some writers lose a great deal of their content because they're just not careful with how they save it or where they put it billarsen and i were very uh particular about keeping you know um our our work intact and so it was just a matter of literally just pulling that work down and putting it in one file and we had a book so it wasn't as um painstaking as it probably would be for anybody else who didn't have 20 years worth of writing and the concept of the book was really easy because we knew that we wanted to
2: pay tribute to um the culture black culture Mm-hmm. So my sister used a lot of phrases and a lot of mm-hmm. um things from black culture,
1: right. like
2: as our uh, leading into our chapters, because we wanted mm-hmm. to pay homage to who we are and mm-hmm. our ancestors and just the, the whole culture. So that in itself wasn't hard to come up with, because like I said, we, were, we had been so inspired by James Baldwin and. And people like that, we just want right. to pay tribute to them. So we, we use like a lot of, um, uh, even, you know, singers. I think it's a, a chapter in there after
1: Stevie Wonder song, you know, just honoring black culture, bringing it all together. Right. And so music, that's, you know, that's the soundtrack of everybody's life. So it was easy to right. go and pull different things. My mother was a big advocate. She loved. Negro slave spiritual. So we have a lot of those. We just, like my sister mm. just said, we pretty much really wanted this to be an authentic salute and a, and a tribute. Celebration. Mm-hmm. Celebration to a heritage, culture, and history, black history. And so this is what this book of poems is.
0: With the new project that you're working on, what does that process as a writer look like? And how are you incorporating that, the writing, into your personal and family routines? This second book is, uh, it it came rather easy too, because like my sister was saying
2: earlier, uh, we're dealing with the passing of our father, who was a very, um, he was really dominant in our lives. So uh, this second, book of poetry is really kind of dedicated to him like the chapters in this second book are tributes to the music that we grew up listening to in his basement he listened to the blues so a lot of our chapters all of our chapters start with like blues songs and a lot of our poems is dealing with the relationship we had with our father so it's not really a, like a process or anything. It's just something um, that we thought necessary. Well, and we didn't even feel like it was necessary. It's just something that was automatic because having a a father for 85 years and then suddenly not have this force in your life, that's Mm -hmm. a big thing. Yeah. So we wrote about that. And also, you know, just life itself, um, you know, current events made us right. And you will see a lot of that in the book too you know
1: these things that we well we're dealing with like everybody else was dealing with seeing you know social conditions sometimes Mm -hmm. are great catalysts for writing and so Mm -hmm. because we're like everybody else in this pandemic we're in the house and the tv is on Mm -hmm. and you're watching a black man being just somebody is suffocating this choking this man exactly with the, with Mm -hmm. with the knee on this man's neck. So that sparks, that sparks you to write. That motivates you to write. You feel, you feel like you have to write about that. Right. So, you know, everything, life is we're living it. That is the biggest motivating catalyst and process of everything that we do. It's not Mm -hmm. just sitting around writing pretty words. We love language, but if we can link that and tie that in together with our experience as Black women. You know, mm-hmm. you have a Black son, you're terrified and taking a breath and praying every time you leave the house because you want him right. to come back home. Yes. So we yes. write about that stuff. That's mm-hmm. that's the lens that we write through. And that's what our process is. It's just living. And, and, and the human experience that we all share is, you know, hopefully these are, are universal, diverse enough, Subjects, but those are the types of things we'll treat that we're writing about. And that's kind of, I hope that isn't a flippant response to, to you about our process, but it's very simple. It's not really right. hard or long and drawn out. It's just whatever kind of motivates you to pull inside yourself to figure out how you want to, how you see the world and you feel that you have something to say about it. That, that is the bigger process for us.
0: Now, are you on some sort of writing routine? Do you have a writing routine? Are you writing in the mornings or after a full-time job, or are you writing whenever the feeling strikes?
1: Latrice, my sister can speak more to this okay. because I'm more. I, I, I'm. I'm just emo. We're both emotional, mm-hmm. and we're contemporary writers of literature. So we both love language, and that will speak. You know of itself, but because I do love language and just writing, I write all the time. My sister has to really, really be motivated and inspired. So she's not writing like that. She's writing only when she's really inspired by something.
2: Yeah. Something, something has to really be on my mind. Um, for me to write, I, I just can't, my sister is amazing. She can. She can say, okay, today I'm going to write four poems. I'm going to sit in front of my computer and I'm going to write four poems. And bam, she writes four poems. I, on the other hand, if I'm not feeling it, I can't write it. And if I try to force it, it seems like the weakest force stuff I ever came up with. So, you know, when I'm feeling it, you can, I think the reader can tell when I'm really into it. And And when I'm not into it, they can tell that too. But I, I write out of emotion, especially uh out of emotion, especially, you know, like my sister was saying, you know, uh sitting there seeing a, a Black man telling you he can't breathe. Of course, I had to write it. Now, the thing is, I don't write as I'm seeing it. I have to process it, you know, and then when I process it, then I write. But my, my, my sister is amazing. If she just say, you know, I'm going to
1: sit down and I'm going to write four poems today, she can do it. That's not me. So there, you know that the short answer is there isn't really like okay a set time of right like, this day we're gonna write this amount. It's really pretty much whatever is motivating us to write. So Latrice, I don't specifically have a set time of day. Whenever I'm inspired, I have a pad and pen at my bedside because I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and stuff, and I have to write so it do out. I- so, right. I but don't sometimes really you know,
2: Latrice, I do make a a concerted effort. Like uh, sometimes because <laughs> my sister sometimes she panics. She's like, what? "You you haven't been right," and you know, and she's going off. So I will say, "Okay, I'll make a concerted effort uh, to see where my mind is." Okay, and I will sit down and I will and and I will try to come up with a subject. Uh, not really a subject, but you know, like something, even if it's just a sentence that I can build on, if I could come up, most of the time, if I can come up with that first sentence, that first sentence, it will spark everything else. And then sometimes I can write a poem and I can start the poem and I'll get out, like, you no, know, I'll get like half the page and I'm like, but I feel as an author, I'll say, it's not finished. So then if I'm, I'm I'm struggling with it. I'll put it away and I'll come back, you know, and like three days later, I'm like, oh yeah. And then it comes, it comes. Like I said, you can't force it because if you force it as a writer, Mm -hmm. I think your readers will see, or if you're trying too hard, Mm -hmm. they will think, you know, they will, oh, they, like in some movies, you know, some movies, you just feel the manipulation instead Mm -hmm. of just letting it progress and happen. You feel, oh, they're manipulating me now. They want me to cry at this moment. You, you, you could tell in a movie when, when it's a
1: forced emotion. And I think you could tell in someone's writing when it's a forced kind of thing. I agree. Now, you Um, know, you know, Latrice, we're going to kind of switch it up on this third book. And so I'm afraid because this has come so easily for us and so natural because this is really like our wheelhouse of where we're our most comfortable. We're kind of branching out on this third um book that we're doing. And this is a family drama. So I, we might be, <laughs> we might have a whole different thing if you talk to us later after that, once that drops of what our process is, we'll probably have a whole lot more to tell you. But like these first two works have just really, really been, you know, intrinsically easy.
0: So with that said, with this third project, are you both going to continue as writing duos, or do you each have aspirations to write separate projects in the future?
1: You know, if eventually, Latrice, we probably will uh, branch out. But we are so much in tune with each other, and we've been with each other our whole lives. We think the same. We almost sound the same. and. We're just better together. And so frankly, we know that. And that's why we do all of our books together is because we're, we're a force of nature independently. But when you put us together, it's just like a whole hurricane. So we're definitely, I think we're, we're definitely better when we write together.
2: Yeah. We've been together, you know, our whole life. uh, I mean, we literally shared a crib
1: Mm -hmm. together.
2: So, I, you know, I I think, uh, we just feel comfortable that way. And I'm pretty sure, you know, like I said, I write, you know, like, uh, screen, uh, uh, scripts for like television shows and and movie things that I would love to get out there. And my sister's not a screenwriter. She writes literature. The more comfortable we get with, you know, our projects together, I think we will branch out eventually. But right now, we just feel more comfortable with one another.
0: Cheryl, did you want to add to that?
1: No, I I was just going to say, Laura was right. You know, she did her show treatments and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Separately, we've written other things. But we do just prefer the literature and, and, and writing these projects that we've been working on for whatever reason. We have just, it turned out that way, but we just prefer writing with one another.
0: So let's shuffle back a little bit and talk about how you two structure your projects working as a duo. Is there a timeline or deadlines put in place that you try and establish? What does that look like?
1: Latrice, honestly, I've had to learn really (laughs) that my sister is an artist in the true sense of the word. I'm not going to get anything out of her by cracking a whip or pushing her to do something because like she said, it's forced and it's not her best. So I've had to learn to just kind of trust that she will get on board. Now sometimes she drives me to the edge of my sanity because I am under, I understand that we have deadlines and, and things of that nature. And so I can't, and deadlines won't let you wait for a click or your inspiration to kick in so in that regard but it's also helped me to manage everything else then some things you kind of just have to push off to the last minute because you know that you you got to give her a little bit more time and so because we know each other and because that we have that understanding of each other i think that's why it works But also, Latrice, Cheryl is not telling you, when Cheryl decided to do the second book,
2: I wasn't on board with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do another uh, poetry book because I was actually jumped to the third book Mm -hmm. and I was working on the third book. And uh, she didn't. She said, well, Lars, just come on and write like five poems." And I was like, well, how is that going to look? You know, you have this book of poetry and then I come in with these little five weak poems." I said, it's just not going to going to do. Right. So I said, I said, sure. Okay. Give me until the end of February and I'm going to try to match what you wrote. But I mean, Cheryl has something like, I don't know, 60 poems or something. And I was like, I can't, you know, I just can't produce like that. I have to feel it. So I said, I at least wanted to go into this thing with at least 50 poems. So I gave myself, I set that, that goal for myself, 50 poems till the end of February to come up with these poems. And I, you know, Latrice, I, ever since college, I found out because I was a journalism major and I had to do a lot of deadlines and I work well under pressure. If you give me, you know, like six months to do something, to be honest to tell you, I'm not going to crank it out until like the last two months. Because I'm under the gun, but I work really well like that. Some of my best stuff is under the gun.
1: <laughs> I do that too. That's <laughs> insanity to me. I, You know, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this and I just- But let's like Cheryl it. does
2: that. She knows that about me. I'll, I'll give you an example, Latrice. This is a good story. Cheryl was getting married.
1: Oh my God. And we have
2: been planning this wedding for a year, okay? And when she found out that I could write poetry, she wanted me to write her a poem for her wedding. And I said, oh, okay, you know, but this was like, you know, a whole year out. So she kept saying, Laris, where's the point? Where's the point? I said, oh, girl, don't worry about it, I got it. I hadn't started
1: (laughs) on it.
2: June comes in, and it's like two weeks before Cheryl's wedding. And she said, Laris, where's the point? And now keep in mind, I'm running around, I'm getting stuff, I'm making arches, I'm uh, 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 painting uh, baskets and You know, I'm doing all this stuff and then I'm like, oh my God, it's two weeks before the wedding. So, wait. So I'm trying to come up with something. I'm trying Mm -hmm, to come up with something. mm -hmm. I couldn't come up with nothing. Latrice, two days before her wedding, I'm laying in bed. All of a sudden, it's three o'clock in the morning and bam, it hits me. And I just started writing. I couldn't, I couldn't stop writing. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, and I read it to Cheryl. And Cheryl was like, oh my God, it's beautiful. And then. And I was like, "See, don't that don't ever underestimate me because I'm really good under
1: the gun." You know, sooner or later, I just have this feeling that that, that good luck is it's gonna run out. I'm not not that person. I can't just do something like that. Wait till the very last minute to do it. It just it drives me. I have no. I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking at you and Latrice, quite honestly, and I'm like, "What are you two talking about?" speaking uh, that's, my that's language because <laughs> I do the same thing
2: I got, I got through college like that Latrice my whole college career me was too. waiting <laughs> yeah waiting till the last minute and I'm telling you it worked for me you it really did thing. I could not start something you know how they give you the syllabus at the beginning of the yes. the semester yes. I didn't care nothing about that syllabus <laughs> 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 To the last minute every time, and Latrice, every time I got an A on that paper, yeah. um, and,
1: and I would be surprised too. I'm like, I know I'm gonna get an F, and then they, I'm like, an A plus. What? What? Right. Okay. Right.
2: <laughs> and I noticed though, Latrice, when I tried to do the right thing and do it, you know, in a timely manner, I would get a C, C plus. I was like, oh no, this is not working. Let me go back to what works.
1: We're sorry, <laughs> Carol. You guys, I, I just don't understand. it I really don't.
2: I did the same thing when it came to losing weight for her 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 wedding. She, I told her, I told her, I said, "Girl, buy that dress." I sure, how, how many sizes too small did you buy that dress? I think we bought that dress three was, or four sizes
1: too small. It was Yeah, it was four sizes because
2: I told her, I said, "Don't worry about it. Sure, I'm gonna lose weight for for your wedding." <laughs> and like I said it was around January now the wedding is in June and it was in January and I was sitting at lunch on my on my job I was sitting Mm -hmm. at lunch and I was eating this really good submarine sandwich. and it crossed (laughs) it crossed my mind I was like oh my god what month is it and I was like oh no it's the end of January I said oh my god I gotta lose weight but I said I can't get in that dress (laughs) L- Latrice, li- literally, the dress only came up to my, uh, right mm-hmm. above my knees. Mm-hmm. Right above mm-hmm. my knees. Seriously, I couldn't mm-hmm. get it any further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Latrice, you should have seen me. I was working out. I was doing stuff I had never done before. I was working up For sure. Who got in that dress? Not only did I get that dress on.
1: It was too big. Oh, wow. It
2: was too big. It was too big. <laughs> and i was four months pregnant oh
1: my goodness so i kind of feel like we're a little bit like we're cheating you because i kind of feel like you know you're, you're waiting to hear this like this this really earth-chattering process no so, not so at that, all so that you can kind of share these nuggets of information no. with your audience you have, have- have given us nuggets i mean that's exactly what they need to hear different writers processes whether it is a process or not Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so you know this is all valuable information
2: if i had to give advice to your audience if they wanted to write Mm -hmm. my thing is just do it just write start with
1: that first sentence You you get that first sentence out you can build on that first sentence and most people think that it's like it's rock like oh it's rocket science no. write what you know write what is the right. most familiar that you have the most knowledge about that is what you write about don't write about something foreign that you have to write right. in time Right you where that. you are write mm-hmm. where you are write what you know
2: yeah that, i think the is- greatest advice that we can give though is just write yeah. just get that first sentence down and sometimes, you know, you write something and you say, oh, my God, this is the best stuff I ever wrote. Mm-hmm. And you go back, you go back to it and you're like, oh, this is trash. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many unfinished screenplays <laughs> I have because I go back and I say, this is trash.
1: <laughs> See, we're we're really we're saying the same thing. In Latrice. I mean, in terms of like Lars, we kind of get a reverse of each other. Cause she's thinking oh you know she's overthinking this book that we're writing we have the material yep. we're familiar with it we know it and i keep telling her just write it write it out get the story out because you can always go back yeah and 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 say something a little softer or say it a little harder or make it a little bit more light but she's like oh it's too dark it's blah blah, blah. And she's like, I, I have to stop writing. And I'm telling her, just write it out because we could always go back and change it. So it's like our roles are kind of changing with this third. Yeah, yeah, with this third project. <laughs> yeah, with the third mm-hmm. project.
0: No, I get it. I do the same thing. I have to stop myself from editing as I'm writing because I know I can go back and redo it once it's done. I just have to get the first draft done and then go back. But, you know, that's still something that I'm working on.
2: Yeah, that's me editing, you know, micromanaging my writing. You can't do that. You just got to, like Cheryl said, get the story out. It's great that it's both of us because, you know, even though we're two sides of the same coin, we do things differently. But because we're so much alike, we always meet in the middle. And that's why it's good to have another person.
0: Well, ladies, I do appreciate you two for hanging out with us today for this author's chit chat. But before we wrap up, tell our listeners where they can find you online.
1: I have all of our social media handles, but if your audience would access our website, it's called Sisters S I S T E R S Rock R O C N is in Nancy Rhyme spelled out R H Y M E Sisters Rock and Rhyme dot com. That's our website. Hit that, and you will have access to every single social media handle that we have.
0: Awesome. Now for my last question, and I know you touched on this at the beginning of our conversation, but will you share with us again about your latest book and any other new projects you're working on as well?
1: Okay. The current project that's available right now at Amazon and Walmart.com, that's called Different Sides of the Same Coin. The second work in progress that we are working on now, that's called Mirrored Images. And that will also be available in both places, Amazon and Walmart as well.
0: All right, ladies, those are all the questions I had. If you have anything else you want to add before we officially wrap up, the floor is yours.
1: I just wanted to say thank you so much, Latrice, for having us. It's really been great. And I wish you every success, too, because I know that you're kind of new with your podcast, but we're very, very appreciative. And we had so much fun hanging out. Yes, we did. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Yes. And thank you also for being here and coming on to chat with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: That's it, guys, for episode three, Sister, Sister on the Nonfiction Is My Lane podcast. I really hope each of you listening enjoyed spending time with me and our new author friends, sisters Cheryl and Loris. We sure did have an amazing time hanging out with you. All right, writer friends and listeners. I'm your host, Latrice Fowler. Thank you so much for tuning in on today's author chat on the Nonfiction Is My Lane podcast. You can find all the links and author info mentioned in today's show in the show notes on nonfictionismylane.com. Before we part ways, wherever you may be listening, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you leave a comment and rate the show. Your reviews will help this show move up in rank helping more writers stay inspired to step out of their comfort zones and create their own writing journeys, processes, and workflows. That's all and that's it. Thanks again my friends. I can't wait to hang out next month for the next Author Chit Chat. See you then.